Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Just open up Philippians chapter 1 and, uh, and go to verse 27 right at the end there. Um, you know, we've, we've spoken so much about everything that these first two chapters have encouraged us in. It's been so life-changing uh, and eye-opening for all of us. But right at the end of Philippians 1, 27, Paul writes and he says, Only let your manner of life, your way of living, the way you conduct yourself, your everyday living and being and moving, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's a way that we can live that honors the call to which we have been called, that honors what Jesus, the price that he paid for us. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Paul says, whether I come and visit you or I don't, whether I, I, I come and uh, whether I make it all the way to you or whether I'm going to die here in prison, whether I am able to or not, I want to hear the report that you are standing firm in one mind with one spirit. This is what I want to hear. In one spirit with one mind, striving, working, for, uh, you know, working to advance the gospel side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. We've got to remember that this is a time when the church was being persecuted heavily. Paul himself is in prison. They are, many of them, being put to death for what they believe. And Paul says, I want to hear that no matter what comes against you, you're standing firm, side by side, one spirit, one mind, unafraid. And when you stand this way, those that come against you will know that surely these people have latched onto something that is greater than what we have. It's a sure sign when we stand together in that way that we have become recipients of the grace of God. And it'll be a clear sign to them that no matter what they do to us, we have received the salvation of God. It's a powerful statement. I've been so stirred by Philippians. It's really so familiar to or so similar to what we saw um, at the end of Ephesians, those last few chapters, as Paul highlights our calling as believers, not as a religion to be observed, but as a life to be passionately lived. This is not us following laws and following rules. I tell people, don't follow rules, follow Jesus. This is not about just following a, a preset of ideas, you know, a list of ideas that we're supposed to uh, fulfill. But no, this is, this is actually being in a relationship with God and then living passionately from the truth that he, is, that he has brought into our lives. It's a life to be lived. And so in Paul's letters, he is constantly trying to tell the church, you've received this life, so live this life. You've received this grace, so walk in this grace. Walk worthy of your calling. Embrace all the parts of what it means to be a child of God, including community. In fact, there's a general uh, 
outline that we find in all the, the, the letters of Paul or the Pauline epistles as, as they would be known in theology. The, all these letters of Paul, there's a general outline. And the outline looks like this. First of all, he says, in almost every one of his letters, he says, everything is because of grace. I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of every, everything holy, stop being stupid. And Timothy says, hi. That's kind of how every single letter of Paul goes, right? He's like, it's all about grace. I thank God for who you are and who you're becoming. Just make sure you hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything that's holy, stop being stupid and stop doing stupid things. And then at the end, he just tells us that Timothy or whoever is with him says hi. And in the, the last few weeks, even at the end of Ephesians, the beginning of Philippians, we've really been focused on item two and three of this list. First of all, hold fast to the gospel. Know what it is that you believe. Know what it is that the gospel accomplishes in your life. And then secondly, stop being stupid. Stop living stupidly. Stupidity is born from a resistance to the purposes of God for your life. Stop deciding for yourself that you know better than what God knows. Stop making your own opinions and preferences greater than the truth of God and what He set up in order to bless you. So when you sit here and you say, I'm not going to join a community group because I just don't think I like that, then you're making your own preferences greater than God's purpose for your life. You're deciding that you know better and that's stupid because you're going to be missing out. If you arrived here today with a car that was falling apart, let's say perhaps a car that had no windows and hasn't had windows for over a year, that's a real situation that I'm mentioning. And somebody came up to you and gave you the keys to a brand new SUV and said, I want you to have this as a free gift, no strings attached. If you turned that down, we would all say that's stupid. That would be the wrong decision to make because it's something that you desperately need. And that's what it looks like when we turn away from God's best for our lives. When we reject the things that He has put in place in order to, to bless us, in order to preserve some misguided sense of self-centeredness. It's what we looked at last week. And what I want to encourage you with today is that life is truly better when we do it together. Life is truly better when we're together. God has so much more in store for us that many of us haven't even begun to experience because it's only unlocked in the context of community. That's where we find freedom. We find it in community. You can learn a lot of things. You can listen to a lot of podcasts. You can, you know, you can do your devotions in the morning and all of those things are great and they can even be powerful in your life. But if you truly want to grow, if you truly want to change, if you truly want to become the person that God has destined for you to be, it is only unlocked in community. It's when you're journeying with some people. It's when you're being discipled and making disciples. I said to the team this morning, so many people come to me and they say, I don't know if I'm in the will of God. And then when they say that, they talk about their career choice or they talk about the car they bought last week and they're not sure if it was the right car. They, they're normally talking about things that aren't actually that valuable in life. But the, 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 if you want to really, really know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not you are in the perfect will of God for your life, here's an easy way to do it. What did he tell us to do? He told us to make disciples. He told us to gather together. He told us to be in community. 
So it will never not be God's will for you to be in community. It'll never not be God's will for you to be making disciples so you can know that you are doing the thing that Jesus told us to do, to make disciples, to gather together. There's some powerful supernatural things that are unlocked that we begin to experience when we step into community. And it starts with a different kind of sense of the presence of God, of the presence of God. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20. He said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now we know that God is always present with us. We know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But this is talking about a tangible presence of God. It's more of an awareness of His presence. It's more of an experience or an encounter of His presence. And there is something that happens when we gather together, we worship together, we pray together, that is just exponentially more powerful than when we're kind of living an individualistic Christian life. I know of some times where I have, have uh, sat in church where you're sitting this morning and the pastor said, I want to pray for some people. Come to the front. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's getting late. This pastor's already preached over his time. I just want to go home. I just want to go have some dinner. I want to just go and relax on the couch a little bit. And so I don't know if I want to go up for prayer right now. And in my heart, I almost resisted it. And then kind of the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I was like, you know what? Let me not be resistant. Let me go forward for prayer and, and, and stand in that place. And, and I remember one time I visited a church and I did this. And the closer I got to the front the more I started to cry. Literally, when I backed away a few steps, I cried less. But the closer I got, there was just something about the tangible presence of God. The closer I got to this group of people praying that was undoing me. It was healing things. It was, it was bringing things out that I, didn't, that I wanted to hide away, that I didn't want to deal with. But now that I was there in God's presence, I could feel God working. It was undeniable. The closer you get to community, the more you'll experience the power of God. There's something that happens in that place. It's supernatural. We experience God differently when we experience Him together with a tangible sense of His love that permeates His community. That's what we pray for every Sunday. If you're a visitor here this morning, we pray that people that walk through these doors will not, you know, they might enjoy the coffee. They might, you know, like the way that we've set up the cafe. They, they you know, whatever, might enjoy the worship, whatever. But more than all of that, we pray that when people walk through the doors, they'll experience the love of God. That's what we pray for. We want people to know that they are loved by God with a perfect and unconditional love. We hope that that's a sense that will permeate our community. I'll never forget the first time I went to go and watch an international rugby game at Ellis Park, our stadium here in Joburg. I you know, it's, a, it's about an 80,000-seater stadium. I went to go watch a Springbok game. I was about 10 years old. And I remember what it felt like walking up to this colossal stadium from the outside. And uh, the people were cheering. There was obviously some pre-game stuff happening inside. And people were already cheering. And you could hear the roar of the crowd kind of uh, overflowing from these big, this big concrete structure and flooding the parking lot with, with just the roars of, the, of this multitude of people. It's something that I'll never, ever forget. I'll never forget when I walked up through the little tunnel that takes you out to the seats where we were going to be sitting and just seeing this theater of green spread out in front of me and the stadium absolutely jam-packed with 80,000 people 
that are, that are ready to go. There was like a buzz. There's a hum. There's a vibe in that space that is just, it's so powerful. If you've never experienced it, it's so powerful. Hearing people stand up together and sing the anthem together. And, and, uh, and, and you know, when we play against the All Blacks and they want to do the haka and they think it's going to intimidate us, nothing intimidates Ellis Park. They say it's the worst place or the, 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 the scariest place to play rugby. Because it's like the crowd has a mind of its own. And we sing, when, when they do the haka, we just sing ole, ole, ole. And you can't even hear the haka. They have to put microphones in front of the haka so that we could just hear that it's actually happening. Because that's what it looks like. And I remember just experiencing that. And then as the game kicks off, every tackle, every break, every, you know, everything that happens, every try, it's like the crowd responds like one man, like one person. It's because we, we all have one goal. We know what it means to win. We know what we want to achieve. And so when the ball gets dropped, everybody, it's like 80,000 people in unison go, oh, you know, and they, they say a few things after that as well. And then, you know, when there's a break, when a player breaks the line and is, and is running towards the try line, almost to the exact millisecond, 80,000 people stand to their feet together. And start making one sound. It's just powerful when so many people are focused with, on, on one thing to the point where they're unified to a place where it's like they have one spirit and one mind. We're thinking the same thing. We're focused on the same thing. We know the goal. We know what it means to win. We know what it means to be successful. In these moments, I would be completely enraptured. Uh, with a sense, with this sense of togetherness, what I love is that it doesn't matter what the political views are of the people that are there. You don't turn around and ask somebody what party they vote for. You, you don't. You don't care about what happened before they arrived, the mistakes of their past, or their their social position or status. You you know you don't you don't ask or or care about the quirks in their personality or anything like that, because in that moment we all only care about one thing. And that's winning. We have one goal and one focus. At important games, I may or may not have embraced complete strangers as if they were brothers. Hugged it out. Awkwardly long periods of time. High five people. Why? Because we stood in agreement. We knew when we were winning. We knew what it was that we, what, what we wanted. And I always thought it was because of the fact that I loved rugby so much, but I really have realized that what I love is a tangible experience of unity, a tangible sense of unity. I believe it's a foretaste of heaven. It's a glimpse of heaven. For brief moments when 80,000 people sing the same song, we get glimpses of heaven. In Revelation 7 verse 9 to 10, it says, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A multitude of people before the throne in heaven, all wearing the same color, singing the same song. We've won. We've won. 
Jesus is victorious. Victory belongs to Him. Salvation belongs to Him. So it's really just a glimpse of heaven. And I love the fact that it tells us that the people who stand before the throne and sing with this kind of unity are from every nation, from all tribes and languages. Because this points to the fact that the Bible repeats in several places that in Christ there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ. This speaks about the supernatural kind of unity that we have that goes beyond the group or, or identity politics of our day. And I think that that should be our focus. You know, uh, Pastor Will sitting up front here is one of my best friends, has been for over 10 years. We've done so many things together, so much in ministry, so much in life. We speak almost daily. And when I walk up to Will, I don't go, okay, you're a Zimbabwean, you know, of the, of the Shauna tribe. I'm, a, I'm a, a white South African with a Scottish heritage and, and, you know, came up speaking, grew up speaking Afrikaans. I don't go, I'm a white Afrikaans. We don't think about that. Obviously, we know that there's differences in our culture, and we can actually celebrate that diversity. Sometimes I go to Will before a service, and I say, Will, help me out. We're doing baptisms today. How would I pronounce this name? I need help sometimes. Or when there's cultural things I want to understand, I can ask him. But you know what? Our primary identity is not in the fact that I'm a white South African or he is a Shauna Zimbabwean. We don't. We're brothers because we are citizens of heaven. That's my identity. I'm a kingdom citizen. And when I stand before that throne next to you, what our earthly kingdoms were is not going to matter because we're one in Christ. This is the kind of unity the world cannot offer. And identity politics only drives us away from one another. Now, our primary identity is that we are in Christ we are disciples of Jesus. It binds us together in a powerful way. This week, week we know that, uh, that the, the queen passed away, Queen Elizabeth II passed away, and I was appalled to see some of the re responses. Oh, we know there's complicated history. We know there's a lot of stuff that can be said this way and that. But as much as some people were, were, were mourning her passing, Others were actually celebrating, listen to this, Christians that I know, celebrating the death of someone. Hey, get a grip. Get a grip. Your mind has been polluted by the nonsense of the politics of our day. And those politics do not care about you. They only want your power. They only want to be in power. It's a power struggle. Don't play that game. Don't play that game. We're not going to be divided along political lines when we are the united church of Jesus Christ. Even politics in the church. It, it, it's the one thing that God constantly said he doesn't want. So the Bible says that we should bless those that persecute us. Pray for those that harm us or insult us. Be good to those that are evil to us. Have we forgotten all of that? Let's be better than that.
Amen? Because when we stand in front of the throne, we will all be there. Every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, and we will be unified. Why? Because we will all know that our salvation is from Jesus. He is our focus and the one that we, that we glorify. There's something supernatural, unthinkably powerful about a community of individuals that are so committed to one core set of values and that every one of our pursuits is unified with the singular vision that we cease, so, so unified that we cease being mere individuals and we're transformed into a singular body, a collective that becomes a singular body. We are known as the body of Christ, not the bodies of Christ, but the body, one body. And we are all individually members of that body. This is what the Bible talks about. Our collective minds and hearts beating singularly, unified. We're all about the same thing. The early church, we, we know, we, the first book of the Bible that we covered as, as a church when we started Anchor was the book of Acts. Because we just said, if God could use ordinary, imperfect people like they were, like we know they were, to do extraordinary things, we, we're kind of in the same boat. We're just ordinary, imperfect people, but we serve an extraordinary God who can do amazing, miraculous things through us. And so that's the church we wanted to be. So we started by looking at the book of Acts. And we know how powerfully they ministered, how powerfully they moved, how they were known as the ones who turned the world upside down. And you often wonder, what was their secret? What was their key? How did they live that caused them to be so powerfully influential that they would turn cities and nations upside down? Acts 4 verse 32 might be one of those elements. Acts 4 verse 32 tells us all the believers were one in heart and mind. One in heart and mind. They had the same goal. It also tells us in that same chapter that those believers met daily from house to house and in the temple. They broke bread, they prayed prayers, and they gathered around the apostles' teachings. One heart, one mind. You see, God does not want His church to be a bunch of individuals that are running after individualistic pursuits you know, we spoke about happiness last week, pursuing personal fulfillment and self-expression and self-centered happiness, which is an oxymoron. There's no such thing. And then just coming together on a Sunday to kind of like fill our tanks a little bit and appease our consciences. No, this is our identity. This is our identity. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And God wants us to, to experience this power, this power of, of unity. If we're going to experience God's best and fulfill His plan and live a life worthy of the gospel, we must make unity and community our priority. You can tweet that. For those of you who are still on Twitter, I don't know if anybody is. But we must make unity and community our priority. Psalm 133 verse 1 to 3 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. 
It's like costly anointing oil that flows down. See, that anointing talks about the presence of God. It talks about the power of God. There's something that begins to flow when we're in unity. Costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, which falls on the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing. Ordains eternal life. When we dwell together in unity, God commands a blessing. When we have one heart and one mind, something powerful and supernatural is released. It's safe to say that we will never be able to do everything that God has ordained for us to do if we don't do it together. We'll never become who God ordained for us to be if we don't become it together. We'll never experience what God ordained for us to experience if we don't experience it together. Amen? I want to speak this morning, just the last few minutes, on the logistics of unity. Some of the logistics. What does it look like? The first thing is, it starts with the heart. It starts with the heart. Number one. Paul instructs that we should stand firm in one spirit. In other places, he says, with one heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence. Look after your heart. Look at what's happening in your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. You're going to live from the position of what's happening in your heart. My question to you this morning is, what is your heart towards the community of God's church? You cannot build something that you hate. You won't build something that you hate. Have you experienced hurt in the church? How many of you, or how many have, of you have heard of people that, that, that say, well, I've been hurt by the church, so I'm going to stay away. Really? You're going to make your hurt bigger than the command of God in your life? But also, I could ask the same question about your own family. How many of you have been disappointed by your own family, by your siblings, by your parents, by your kids? That's just part of human relationships is that we're imperfect. And so we're going to experience some level of hurt in the process. So God, what's happening in your heart. Have the wisdom and the maturity to do what the Bible tells us to do, which is to make room for each other, forgiving one another. It's no excuse to step away. We've got to look at what's happening in our heart towards the church. Matthew 15 verse 18 Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. How do you speak about the church? How do you speak about God's community, God's mission? If you want to know what's really in your heart, listen to what you're continually saying. What are you talking about? You'll find that's what you truly value. So if we are of one spirit, it means that we hold the same values in our hearts we hold the same values or certain things to be valuable, to be important, to be precious. Our treasure is the same. What is precious is preeminent in our hearts. This feels like one of those moments that I'd like to call an alliterated statement of truth. I'm going to throw some alliteration at you. Are you ready? Just so you can remember this. When the pervasive priority of our lives is the preeminence of Christ, we will passionately pursue our purpose as the people of God. I'm going to read it again. When the pervasive priority of our lives is the preeminence of Christ, 
we will passionately pursue our purpose as the people of God. Is that what your heart treasures? Is that what you hold fast to? Is that what you believe? In other words, when we hold Jesus as our highest value, building his kingdom becomes our greatest priority. When we lay down our selfish desires to embrace the call of God on us, it binds our hearts together in perfect unity. That's what love does. It binds together in perfect harmony and unity. We begin to dwell together in unity. And that's when God begins to command his blessing on that community. The second thing is it changes the mind. So it starts with the heart and your heart then has the ability to change your mind. Your mind was never meant to dominate your spirit, the eternal truths of God. Your spirit instead should be directing and training and guiding and correcting your mind and the way that you think. Your spirit is the parent and your mind is the child. How many of you have seen kids whose, whose parents exercise no control or discipline over them? Is it a good sight to behold? You worry for that child. You worry about who that child will become. When parents allow their kids to just do whatever they want. No, a good parent would discipline their kids, would help their kids, would control their kids when necessary. And in the same way, your spirit needs to be a good watch over your mind. This week I was driving to school with my boys and Obviously, we were in load shedding again now. The traffic lights were out and we were waiting. It was making us late. And one of my boys quipped, this is such a stupid country. I didn't tell them that I said something similar like the day before or whatever. But I said to my boys, I addressed that attitude immediately. I said, I don't believe in negativity. A negative attitude is not going to help you in life. It's not going to help you thrive and become who God destined for you to be. I don't want you to speak like that, I told my boys. I told them, we love our country. It's a beautiful place filled with beautiful people, and that's what we care about. I'm not going to raise negative boys. In that same way, your spirit is filled with the Spirit of God it is renewed, it is regenerated, and it has the truth of God on its lips. And so whenever your mind wants to be negative, your spirit needs to parent your mind. There's the exchange that occurs there. When your mind is influenced by the cares of the world, an active spirit submitted to the Spirit of God takes charge and redirects the immaturity of our thinking to the, to the solidity of our faith, what we believe. Paul says this to the Philippians at the end of the letter in, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. How many of you know we need some help with that? We need some help. It's hard to fix our thinking by ourselves. And that's one of the reasons why you gather here on a Sunday, so that you can be encouraged in that kind of thinking. 
It's one of the reasons why you need to be in a community group so that you can be encouraged in that thinking. Community shapes us. It changes who we're becoming. You will look different according to who you spend time with. Here's another alliterated statement of truth. Community cultivates culture and culture creates change. Community cultivates culture. If you wanna change the culture of your life, the culture of your thinking, step into community. Number three, it directs our actions. So it starts with the heart, it changes our minds, it directs our actions. Philippians 1.27, he says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith. Striving side by side. When we have a singular value and a unity of vision, we strive side by side. We're speaking in rugby terms again. I think about the Irish national anthem. I don't really want to talk about Ireland after what happened last night in the Sevens World Cup. But if we were going to talk about Ireland, they sing a song about standing shoulder to shoulder. Together, standing tall. That's a kingdom value. We're all working towards the same result. When we have one heart and one mind, it aligns our activity. We know what it means to win. If you are watching a rugby game and a rugby player picks up the ball and starts running in the wrong direction, 80,000 people as one person will stand up and shout out, what are you doing? Because we all know that's not the goal. That's not the direction that we're pursuing. In the same way, when we have one vision, we know where the try line is. We all, have, we all run in the same direction. We start building something significant together. Colossians 3.14 says, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Philippians 2.1-2, in that, the first two verses of that next chapter, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What does that mean? He's saying, if you've received anything personally from Jesus, if you've been encouraged at all, if you've experienced the comfort of his love in your own life, if the Holy Spirit has been involved with you, he's asking if you've received affection and sympathy from God, well then complete the picture by having that same love towards each other. Complete the picture. The same things that you've received from God, love each other in that way. And I love that he says being in full accord. You know what that means? That means show up. Do you know that we have like almost 700 members in our church and less than half showing up on a Sunday? In general, people come to church once every three weeks. Paul says, if, if, if you've received anything from the Spirit, show up. Be a full accord. Get to that group, get to that service, get to that place where you, can, where you can begin to foster that same love that Jesus has shown you so that you can show it to others. Be of one mind. Finally, number four, it glorifies God. So it starts with the heart, 
changes the mind, directs our actions, and glorifies God. Apparently, Jesus thought unity was quite important. In John 17, verse 20 to 23, the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying for, for us, for his church. In fact, he says, I do not ask for these only, the 12 that were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that's you, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe. If we don't show unity, the world won't believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. This is Jesus praying for us. Why? So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So unity directly connects to our witness of the gospel. If we're constantly fighting and criticizing and breaking down and complaining about one another, then we will not witness to this world about the love that God has for us. You know, when you see a, a family and you see there's unity in the family, you usually think to yourself, they must have some good parents. There's love in that home. In the same way, when, when, when we stand together as a family, people go, they must be a, a family that's loved by their father. They love each other. They must have got that from somewhere. Our unity can make an unbelieving world believe and can reveal the love of God to a world that desperately needs it. And I love how Paul goes on to say that if we do this, we will not be afraid of anything. When you know that the people around you have your back, they love you, they're there for you, you will not be afraid of what life will throw at you. In my life, even in the journey of church, there have been many occasions for fear. But I haven't felt afraid because I always knew that when I look to my left and I look to my right and I turn around, it doesn't matter which way I turn, there are people around me that love me, that care for me, and that are fighting alongside me. When we stand firm, shoulder to shoulder, one heart, one mind. It doesn't matter what we face. We will not be afraid. In fact, those coming against us will have a clear sign that we know that our salvation is from God. God is for us. Nothing can be against us. A.W. Tozer said this, one of my favorite quotes. He said, a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. I believe one of the greatest attacks that the enemy brings against his church is to destroy the unity, to destroy the harmony. How many of you know when a, when a band sings or when you've got a couple of vocalists together and they're not in harmony, it sounds awful. Nobody wants to listen to that. But when there is harmony, even unbelievers will be moved to tears because they'll know there's something supernatural.
So when we stand side by side, we will be a fearless church with one mind and one spirit. So I want to encourage you this morning. Let's lean into unity. It starts with the heart. It changes the way we think. It directs our actions and the way we live. And ultimately, it glorifies God. This is more than just a good idea. It's God's way to command His blessing 